welcome to the journey. Welcome to our worship this morning. Uh, we're grateful for your presence. Our online viewers, so glad that you're joining us this morning. This is Palm Sunday. It is the quick kickoff of uh, Holy Week, the beginning of the uh, the road, as we talked about, to, to Easter, the, the celebration of the resurrection. But a lot happens in the story between Palm Sunday and the resurrection. And um, today... Uh, Palm Sunday that we commemorate, that we celebrate, I think for the disciples, the people who um, followed Jesus most closely during his life, this must have been a day of just um, unbelievable hope. These guys, they were the, the first person recipients of Jesus' good shepherding, right? We're working our way through Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and Jesus walks onto the scene and says, I am the good shepherd. These guys had walked with Jesus through green pastures, like literally walked with him, actually everywhere, through green pastures and dusty paths and, and along seashores, that they had walked with Jesus, that they had been led by him to quiet waters in some pretty miraculous ways, actually, right? Remember one day they're out on a boat and then a huge storm comes up and, and, and Jesus calms the storms. He takes stormy seas and actually makes them quiet waters. That he had literally restored their souls. One of the things I, I appreciate so much about the Chosen series, um, the Chosen app, if you haven't found it, I, I commend it to you. It's just some really great um, content that really helps us kind of, I, I think, just learn more about Jesus. And, and I meet Jesus when I, when I watch these stories and see them played out. And, and it's not the Bible, but these stories are plausible um, stories of, of what it might have been like but I, but I love it because as you watch these stories, you, you get this picture, this, this depth of what it must have been like for these disciples, for, for Peter, who was always uh, an act first, think later kind of guy, you know, always kind of sticking his foot in his mouth, jumping out there, and, and had some challenges in his life. And he meets Jesus, and transformation takes place in, in this, this man who had a way of kind of getting himself into trouble, continued that throughout his life, but becomes the rock, the foundation on which Jesus would build his church. Philip and Nathaniel were disciples who had been waiting for Jesus, longing for the coming Messiah for years and years as their, as their, their people had been waiting for, for decades and centuries, for generations, and to, and to meet Jesus and, and to have that hope stirred. For Mary, who had been plagued by, by demons, possession, and to see you know, you read that in the text, and it's like, wow, that's crazy. What must have that have been? But to, but to see kind of a picture of what that looked like, to, the, the, the plight of her life, and to be set free from that, to be liberated from that, as she said, to, be, to have been one way and now to be another. 
to see him to Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was a, a co-conspirator with Rome, and, and Simon, Simon, who was a zealot, who was actually part of a group that was trying to overthrow the Roman government. And, and these two, two men from opposite sides of the political spectrum, in very profound ways, come together and be brothers united by Christ. The, the, had, uh, Jesus had restored their soul for three years. Jesus had been teaching them, leading them, equipping them for the coming kingdom, showing them paths of righteousness. And now it's the Passover, the celebration one of the biggest celebrations in, in, the, in the life of the nation of Israel, where they remember, where they commemorate God delivering them from bondage in Egypt, out of oppression, out of slavery, into the desert, through the wilderness, through the Red Sea, and, and to the promised land. And hope was abounding. Hope was bursting at the seams anticipating that this Passover might be the time for God's next great deliverance. This time not from Egypt and slavery, but from Roman occupation and oppression. And for the first time this day, we commemorate, for the first time in his life, Jesus is not walking but he, but he mounts up on a donkey and rides into the streets of Jerusalem as the crowd shout, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us. Jesus, Messiah, rescue us from whatever it is in your plight. Save us, crying out. Anticipation, hope against the backdrop of a, of a looming darkness, a cloud that had been growing, forming for months. The, the growing animosity of Jesus' critics who were appalled by Jesus' disregard for time-honored, God-ordained traditions. He couldn't be the Messiah. He didn't keep the Sabbath the right way who were offended by Jesus' lack of respect for their authority, for their position, who were horrified by the claims that Jesus was making to be the light, to be the way, the truth, and the life, to be the bread of life, to be living water. These things that Jesus was saying, he was saying that he was God's son. He was, he was equating himself. This was blasphemy at the most profound level. Six times, John tells us, that they were ready to seize him, to stone him. And Jesus had escaped. His critics were growing. The clouds were forming. And then in the midst of that, Jesus kept making these cryptic comments, things that they couldn't understand that he was saying. What could he possibly mean? That the Son of Man would be betrayed, condemned, mocked, and crucified. Well, actually, as I read it, it seems pretty clear what, they were, what he was saying, but it didn't make any sense to them because how could this be? This was the one 
the Messiah. This was the one who was going to save them. Was it finally time? Was it finally time when Jesus would remove all the doubt, when he would take away all the mystery, when he revealed himself to, to his disciples and to all of Israel and to Rome, Rome as the Messiah, as the anointed one, would he now launch his revolution? Is he now preparing a table in the presence of their enemies? How long they had waited for it, how much they had desired it. Hope bursting at the seams. And what this disciples will do, soon discover is that the table that they've been waiting for, the one that they will eat in the presence of their enemies, lies at the end of a very long, deep, ominous gorge. Or as David said in the psalm, they are walking headlong into the valley of the shadow of death. I titled this series, Good God. Good God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have no, he will provide everything I need. Good God. And then Jesus comes in and says, I am the good shepherd. I am the Lord who is my shepherd. I, I am that. I am the good shepherd. But this part of the journey raises some really hard questions. Really? This is the story? It raises, is God God? If, if the, the valley of the shadow of death, is, if this is where this story goes, how can that be? Suffering, hardship, heartbreak is the number one argument against the existence of God. And people, how could there be a God with all of the horrors that exist in our society, with all of the pain and the suffering? How could there be a God? is probably the leading contributor to people who lose their faith. People's like, I prayed, cried out to God to save my mom or my grandma or my grandpa, and he didn't. Or I watched this happen or I experienced this. How could there be a God with so much pain and suffering in the world? Is God God? And if he is God, is he really good? If a sovereign being made this mess, how could that sovereign being be good? And if God is God and God is good, what good is he? Because he seems pretty willing to put up with what Joe Friday called pagans, people against goodness, and normalcy, right? Why does he let so much violence and destruction and disease and suffering continue? If God is God and God is good, why? Why? Can you imagine the questions that the disciples must have been asking? 
These guys had gone all in with Jesus. They'd left their families. They'd left their homes. They'd left their businesses. They put all of their eggs in this basket. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, all of their aspirations in Jesus. And the things that unfolded throughout that week and the things that they experienced as they watched him and listened to him and saw him be arrested and saw him be flogged and beaten and mocked, have a crown of thorns pressed onto his head. Can you imagine what it must have been like for them to go through the suffering that they endured when Jesus is supposed to be the king, the Messiah? Can you imagine? Of course you can. Of course you can. Because you all have your own stories. You've all traveled your own path. You've all had your own hopes and dreams and longings and expectations and desires and put your hope and your faith in Jesus at some level. And it's not always, often, looking like what you thought it was going to look. Of course you can. And we can get in line with a long list of prophets and kings and saints, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah, David, who would ask the same questions, even David says, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. If you look at the the psalm, it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. But there's a shift that takes place when we come to this part of the psalm. He, he goes from talking about God, third person, he, to second person, to you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil, not for he is with me, for you are with me. It's getting personal. Job had endured the depths of the valley of the shadow of death, probably most famous of all. And the people who went through just the the absolute darkest time, lost his whole family, his business, afflicted with health, disease, all in a moment, lost everything. And he goes through this horrible experience all the time holding to the fact that God is God and that he is good, that he is righteous. And he comes near to the end of the story after all the suffering that has been through and all the things that his friend have said to him and trying to help him understand his plight that has only made matters worse. And he comes to the end and he, he asks this question. Yeah, actually, he doesn't ask a question. He makes a demand. Let the Almighty answer me. God, tell me. I want to know why. What is this all about? And God responds. Who is this? 
He says to Job, after all that Job's been through, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Job, who are you to ask me these questions? And God goes into a a four-chapter, 129-verse diatribe, challenging Job, saying, Job, you don't know anything. He gives him a, a test in uh, in earth science, what do you know about creation? He, he gives them a test in biology, what do you know and what do you understand about life? He gives them a test in zoology, what do you know about this animal and this animal and how can you tame them, contain them? What do you know about astronomy? Job, you don't know anything. Who are you to challenge me? And after Job has this encounter with God, read it, it's pretty Job chapter 38 through 41. He's brought to his senses. And he says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And Job discovers that it is better to know God than to know why. That it is better to encounter the presence of the living God with you than to understand why you are where you are. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus had been really transparent about the hardships, about the road that lied ahead for his followers. He says it in his last meeting with them, in this world, here it goes, guys, you will have trouble. The problem is, for preachers and people who want to share their faith with other people, is that's not a great pitch. Hey, come follow Jesus. In this world, you're going to have all kinds of trouble. This is going to be great. Let's go. Right? God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a much easier pitch. It sounds great until life happens, until the pandemic hits until the doctor calls, or until your boss calls you in, until tragedy strikes. If the messages go with God and everything's going to be great, everything's going to be fine, when it isn't great, either I blew it or God's not coming through for me. God's not doing what I asked. He's not doing what I need. He's not being a good shepherd. If the story is, hey, this is all just great, and it's all going to be great, and it's never going to be bad again, then any time something happens, and this happens all the time, right, it drives a wedge between us and God. Something's wrong. The good shepherd doesn't spare us the valley never promised to. 
He walks with us through it. From the fall of man and woman to the end of age, we find suffering. Read it throughout the, the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament. Read the story of the disciples of Jesus after his resurrection ascension, after they received the Holy Spirit. Read the stories of the saints through the ages. Listen to the saints in your life and talk with them. We find suffering bringing the saints into a deeper experience of God. A greater awareness of his presence. A more intimate communion with him. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who go through the sorrow, go through the heartbreak, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and don't walk away from God or don't turn their back on God, but cry out to God in sadness and sorrow and anguish with a broken heart. Say, God, help me. God, have mercy. Blessed are those who mourn. They meet God in their experience. They encounter him. And he comforts them. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In his last meeting with his disciples, it starts in John chapter 13. You come to John chapter 16. These are the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before he goes into a prayer for himself, for his mission, for his disciples then, and for his followers now. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where, that you may be where I am, that you may also be where I am. That God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And at the end of the story, that he prevails. That he triumphs. That he triumphs over all of history. That he triumphs over every heartache and sorrow and heartbreak. That when the name of Jesus is spoken finally, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, all those things that we sang about this morning, when we speak the name of Jesus, will be at last, finally, completed and eradicated. No more pain, no more suffering, suffering, no more sorrow, no more disease, no more tears. God prevails. If I was limited to only one chapter of the Bible for the rest of my life, I would probably, it would be hard, but I would probably pick Romans chapter 8. 
which makes me, I, I actually think I should memorize it, so then if I ever did not have my Bible anymore, I wouldn't have to pick Romans 8, because I'd and I've actually honestly tried several times to memorize, and I've got, you know, like half of it. I'm going to get it someday. But it's just life, God, his presence, his power, his plan, plan his purpose, all brought together in a single chapter. God prevails. Romans 8, verse 18, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to our future glory. However dark the valley is, nothing. It's going to be nothing in light of what's to come. And in between, Romans 8, 26, while we're living in that place, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. God is with us in the valley. Verse 28, God has, had his hand, has his hands in all of it, even while we're going through it, working for good, for all, looking good, working all things for good, who love God and are called according to his purpose. Even in the midst, even in the valley, even in the suffering, even in the darkness, he is in the midst of it, redeeming it, reclaiming it, using it for our good. And then in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God does not look good if we insist on taking his job. Right? If we say, here's the problem, God, and here's the solution, and if you don't give me the solution I want, then you're not a good God. God is not going to look good. God does not look good if we impose our timelines on him. Right? If you do this by now, if you do solve this problem, I know you said that you're going to do it someday, but if, if you don't do it now or soon, then I'm not going to. I was reading about the story of, of um, Lazarus this week. They come to Jesus. They say, hey, you know, Lazarus is sick, and, and Jesus doesn't go right away. But he tells his disciples, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. But, but then just a few less verses later, Lazarus dies. It's like, but, but Jesus, you, you said that his sickness would not end in death. It's not the end of the story, right? He, he does die, but that's not the end of the story because Jesus goes to his tomb and then raises him from the dead out of the tomb. 
God does not look good in someone else's valley. He's not with us in someone else's valley. And I get caught up in this sometimes. And I hear my friends and family get caught up in this sometimes too. Like we see people going through something. Like for example, I mean, horrific, right? Nashville. Children. Another school shooting. It's more than I can bear. But someone is. Right? There are families who are bearing it. I can't even comprehend it. And I don't know them. I don't know their story. I know they're going through a living hell. The Lord is their shepherd. The Lord is their shepherd. They are not walking alone. And I can't bear the thought of it, and they are bearing it. But I believe if I was going through it, and if you were going through it, that you would not be alone. can't look at other people's stories and lives and say, God, where are you there? Those stories will come out. They have come out. And people's lives have suffered immensely and yet find hope, yet find comfort, yet find peace that passes understanding. That even though that sorrow may never be gone or may not be gone yet, that even in the midst of the sorrow that joy begins to emerge again as we walk with the Good Shepherd. This is Holy Week. I want to challenge you as we go into this week to first of all continue memorizing and meditating on Psalm 23, right? I didn't give you the words this week, so say it with, oh, you did. Did I put those up there? I did. Man, take those down, Ron. He can't. There he is. With me now. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Continue. I want those words to be on your heart and your mind, set in your spirit. that in the days of joy and in the days of sorrow, that your go-to will be, yes, it's heartbreaking. Yes, I feel like I am falling apart, but I am not alone. I would encourage you as we go through Holy Week 
to read through the, the Holy Week story. If you start today, you'd have to read it today, but if you started at John 13, it picks up with um, the story of um, Jesus washing his disciples' seat the Last Supper. If you read John 13 through 20, one chapter each day, you will get through the heart of what transpires in this week. I would like to encourage you to read John 13 through 20, one chapter a day. You got to start today to get to the resurrection next Sunday, right? Read John 13 through 20. I want to challenge you to do this. I'm giving you a lot of homework, all right? But I think really this, is, this will be a great exercise for me, for you. Revisit one of your valleys. One of the valleys that you have been through in the course of your life that you look back on. And maybe there's still heartache and sorrow there. But you're not where you were when you went through it. What do you know now that you didn't know then? What do you still not know? What would it mean to you today if that story isn't over yet? That there's still more healing to come. Still more help. Still more joy. Still more freedom. To see, to watch how God has taken us through valleys to where he's brought us to helps us deepen our faith, our confidence, our security that God will not leave us in the next valley or the next. We will never walk alone. Friday, Good Friday, we celebrate, commemorate Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We will worship together here um, at 7 p.m., Uh, We'll be online for our online viewers, too. I hope that you'll join us on Friday. Um, We will be, actually, it will be part of our series. So we will be, if you're following through in our Psalm 23, you need to catch Good Friday because it's the next next part of Psalm 23. And then we will wrap it up next week with a celebration of uh, the resurrection on Sunday morning, 1010. And I look forward to seeing you all back here Um, to worship together and to celebrate that Jesus is alive, that all evil, brokenness, and pain and shame have been defeated, and that our hope is secure, and that it is eternal. Lord, thank you that you... um, Thank you that you inspired David to write Psalm 23 thousands of years ago to help us today. Give us eyes to see, Lord, where you're with us. Faith to believe that even when things don't look good, that you still are. Help us to be honest. To be honest, that when we're hurting, when it's hard, to mourn, to not gloss over it and say God is good, 
So I don't need to worry or feel the heartache, but to bring it to you. To be as bold as Job was, trusting that you can bear it, and that when we come to you with whatever it is we bring, that you meet us, that you meet us there, and that you bring us through it. Pray that your word would come alive. Your hearts and our minds and our souls and our spirit. Pray in Jesus' name.